Um, if you're with us last week, uh, we were here in Colossians chapter 2. We covered verses 11 through 15. We looked a lot about uh, you know the spiritual nature of circumcision versus uh, what took place in the Old Testament, what was mandated. We're going to pick it up with verse 16. If your Bibles are open, starting with verse 16, Colossians chapter 2. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the substance is indeed Jesus. Lord, you're the reason we're here tonight. You're the reason, Lord, that we have salvation. You're the reason we just worship. You're the reason, Lord, that we can stop in the middle of this week and worship and praise you. You're the reason, Lord, we're opening our Bibles to hear from you. And Lord, we do want to hear from you. Lord, I need to hear from you. We all need to hear from you. Lord, even if we know these things, we need to re-know them in a deeper way. Lord, we need to be retrained and and Lord, just re-cleansed and uh, repurposed in our walk with you. And Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged tonight, strengthened by your word. Lord, just drive any distraction out. May we just sit at the feet of Jesus in your peace and in your joy and just a restful, refreshing time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're here last week, uh, you know that Paul had began with... Um, the fact that we've been circumcised without hands, that Jesus himself has done this work of taking away sin. We talked about the fact that you know, we could no more spiritually circumcise ourselves than a new baby could. A new baby you know, needs uh, the direct intervention of doctors and physicians, and we need the direct intervention of the great physician. Jesus, by his blood, had nailed to the cross all the requirements all of our sin, all of the judgment that would come upon us, all these things he had taken on himself, and we were saved by faith. Not anything else, not any lineage, not, well, my grandmother was a Christian, not the patriarchs, not if you were Jewish, none of those things, but also that Jesus had taken away all the requirements, and he, so he continues in some of the things here that could come in as replacing the simplicity of Jesus and all that Jesus is. And so we're looking tonight, starting at verse 16, let no one judge you in food or drink regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These things are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. And if you're taking notes, the first thing we want to take a look at tonight together. Don't be bound. Don't be bound. Let no one cheat you of your reward. And he goes on, and we'll look at these other verses in just a second, but um, people could look at you and say, aha, don't you know what the Old Testament says? You know, especially if it, some of the Jews that would come up from Jerusalem and say, hey, you, you, know, you guys are real familiar with the teachings of the apostles, but are you, are you really ingrained in what Moses had given. See, under the law, in addition to the moral commands that were given in the Ten Commandments, there were civil laws, right? There were civil laws related to how Israel was to be governed as a nation. We, we really could use God's help as civil law, can't we? Our country's built on the basis of 
of the laws that you see in the Old Testament, in the law. There are also ceremonial commandments that related to the calendar. Well, you had to really know your calendar if you were uh, Jewish, and uh, especially under the time of Moses and all the way through the law period. There are ritual cleansing, circumcision, which we looked at last week, illnesses, how they were to be handled. There was acceptable and forbidden foods. I'm totally okay with not eating bats or horse. These things were forbidden. They're still forbidden for me. We don't have a law book in the house, but you know, I'm never, if my wife says I'm preparing horse, then we're, you know, it's, it's going to be a revolt in the house. So there was a lot of good things that were forbidden. I don't want to eat spiders and things like that. But uh, then there was the commanded feast and the observations of those feasts. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, it was also ceremonial and Israel's corporate rest, that seventh day, uh, or, you know, seventh day of rest, and worship. It was even punishable by death if it was violated. But under the law, none of the given laws were negotiable. Couldn't say, well, God, I don't, I don't really like this law. They didn't have all the same penalties. There was different penalties. Some were very severe, like death, and some were less severe. But all were to be kept, the moral as well as the ceremonial. Under the old covenant of the law, the Jews were bound to keep and observe all the laws, all of its requirements. In total, I don't know if you knew this, some of you probably, probably do know this, but some of you don't, there are over 600 laws to observe in the Tanakh or the Old Testament. Jesus, who came and he kept the law, would you agree with that? Jesus kept the law. He fulfilled the law. Not only fulfilled it, it means fill it up to places that had never, he rose it up to a level of standard of perfection no one could even comprehend. He revealed the law, as you might remember, he was circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. Everything exactly the way the law was written. And throughout his life, he was the only one to perfectly keep the law. Remember he even corrected the scribes and Pharisees from time to time? They would come up with something like, and Jesus would say, have you not read? And then he would explain to them, they should really know how this works, but he would explain, no, no, you've got it wrong. He would correct them. Their misunderstandings. Sometimes they weren't misunderstandings. Sometimes they were just out and out misuse. He would correct that as well, too. You may recall he corrected them on the Sabbath. What the purpose of the Sabbath was, right? They thought it was to catch people, right? Not, they thought it was to catch people not being as perfect as they were. But even sometimes, like remember when he, the disciples took heads off the grain? That was actually okay to do. And they were trying to get him for work on that. And Jesus said, no, you, he would read it back to him. He says, it's clear that this is okay. He explained what was allowable on the Sabbath. What was already written in the law that they had completely missed, accidentally, often on purpose, but missed entirely. And if you look back at verses 11 through 13, <clears throat> if you go back to verse 11, in him you were circumcised without hands, putting off the body of sins. And he goes through uh, the fact that these, uh, verse 13, 
uh, being dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh. You go back to these verses where Paul begins this explanation of the sufficiency of Christ and the freedom and the freedom that came through the cross. Isn't it interesting that an instrument of death brought freedom? That something as barbaric and ghastly and just horrific as the cross brought freedom. It took the worst to deliver us from the worst. Paul began in those verses 11 through 13 with circumcision, expressing that the required physical act for male Jews would become a spiritual work under the new covenant for all people. The spiritual work is for male and female. Amen? Because it's of the heart. We're talking about a cutting away of sin of the heart. So it doesn't matter if you're male, female, Jew, Gentile, everyone needs to be spiritually circumcised. That's what Paul started with. That the the law was a picture. And all throughout the Old Testament, the law is always pointing to a future fulfillment. A greater fulfillment. And under the New Covenant, that circumcision is done by Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's done without hands. It's the permanent work of God, just as it was for that newborn baby. It's a permanent work. And it's not on the eighth day when, when we are, you know, so if someone is to come forward this Sunday or even get saved tonight, they are spiritually circumcised immediately, right? They have to wait for a better moment for the healing process, which we know uh, medically was best on the eighth day. We talked about that last week. But this work is done immediately. But wherever the church was being planted, And people were being set free from sin, set free from death, set free from guilt, set free from all the, uh, you know, just the religious efforts of their life. There was this continual effort on the part of some to come and, yes, they'd preach Jesus, but Jesus plus. Jesus plus the law. And that's what they started to say. They said, hey, you know, Jesus, yep, you need Jesus. Plus, you need Moses. Jesus plus. And Paul continues here reminding the Colossians that if they're told to start keeping the law, if anyone tells you to start keeping the law, Paul says, refuse to put those handcuffs on. Run the other direction. Don't do it. And he lists them out. Look what he says here. Food and drink. Now, we already talked about circumcision, so that would be in the master list as well, if you will. Food and drink, festivals, new moon, Sabbaths. Now, all these are listed in the Old Testament. Even when Solomon dedicated the, the first temple, Solomon speaks of all of these, that God, you know, Lord, when the, when the moon changes, each festival, like the Passover, Right? Each of these, each of these must be observed. Now, I will say, I think it's a beautiful thing uh, to observe any of these. If you say, I, I want to observe them, you have all liberty to observe them. God created them, so you know they're a good thing. We all agree with that. We know they're a good thing. We know they actually have a future purpose as well. I'm looking forward to how they'll be fulfilled in heaven. 
I hope you are too. I don't know how that will work. I know that there's a fulfillment in the millennial reign of Christ because some of these things return. There's a new temple there. A lot of this stuff comes back. But in the age of grace, Paul is saying these things are not a requirement for you. But there is a beauty in observing them. You guys know I have a great friend and mentor, Sam Nadler. His church there, they observe every, they observe them all. And it's a very rich thing. And the, and the people that are Jewish especially, you know, say, wow, I, you know, I, I did this when I was a kid and it was so just kind of dry. And now that I'm a believer, it has a life to it. So there's nothing, again, you know, we, we believe in this church, we believe in the messianic movement and what God is doing with uh, Jewish people around the world and using messianic churches and fellowship. And that's fine. Paul observed them. Paul liked to go to the synagogues. Paul, remember, he said, i got to get back for Passover. The big deal to him. But he didn't put that on Gentiles he met, did he? Interestingly enough, he also didn't even put it on the Jewish people he met. He was just simply saying that, hey, this is not a requirement. It's not Jesus plus. Now, you could say Jesus and I get to enjoy these things. But if someone starts telling you, hey, you can't eat certain foods. Well, but we're from the Greco-Roman world and we we already eat shellfish. We're in a seafood, you know, there's parts of Italy or parts of Greece where that's about all they eat. You ever watch like bizarre foods and stuff or the places that you think, you know, like, some of you would starve, right? If you look at some of these places, right? You know, saying there's not a single thing on the menu that I'm going to want. So he goes through this list, food and drink, these festivals, you know, so they would come and tell him, hey, you need to understand each of, uh, each of the times this year in the calendar that we Jews, and now if you want to be Jewish, you're going to have to be circumcised. These foods you can no longer eat. You're going to have to uh, observe Feast of Booze, Passover, each of these things. They just kind of go through the list and say, hey, you're going to have to do it. You have Jesus, but you don't, you don't just have salvation with Jesus, you also need these elements of the law. And he lists them out. Oh, by the way, the Sabbath, you guys are uh, worshiping and, and kind of having the first day of the week because Jesus rose on the first day and a lot of Gentile churches spring up. We're celebrating uh, or gathering to worship on the first day of the week as we still do. Um, so now that, that, that you've got to go back to Sabbath. Which is, by the way, the only commandment it's not mandated in the New Testament. The other nine moral commandments are all mandated. You still can't lie. You still can't murder. You still can't commit adultery, right? But the Sabbath was for Israel as a nation. So he lists them out. These are the things. You don't have to be in bondage to these things. They can be a blessing, but not a bondage. You all agree? They can be a blessing, just not a bondage. Have you ever noticed whether it was in Jesus' earthly ministry or right now today, people are a lot better at keeping exterior lists than they are in having tender hearts toward God and people. You ever notice that? Let me give you some examples. People can wear religious clothing from around the world and be full of hate. Now, you don't have to look too far. Just watch the news and you'll see this, Right? People can wear all the religious garb and be full of hate. I mean, just hate. Hate someone because they're Jewish. Hate someone because they're a Christian. Hate someone because they're Hindu. 
And it wouldn't be any better for us to hate someone because they're Muslim or anything else. I mean, we, we're not to hate anybody. You said love even your enemies. But people with religious clothing are some of the, some of the most hateful on planet Earth. You'll, you'll see people that have a Facebook wall full of Scripture. They're as rude as the day is long. Isn't that one a great? I'm like, I always tell, don't tell them you go here. If you, you know, don't do that. Find another church. If your Facebook wall is full of Scripture and you're really rude, please don't identify with us. And we all have a bad moment. I'm, not, I'm talking about this is the consistency of the way you're just kind of... You, some people you are like, wow, they're offended by everything. Rude as can be. Oh, but there's a lot of Scripture there. That's going to be a great way to draw to the Lord. I'm going to hate Christians. You ever, I've met people that told me, oh, I don't, very religious. I don't eat that. That's, that's dirty. That's filthy. Then out of their mouth comes all kinds of filth. You got a dirty mouth, but you won't eat dirty foods. Okay? Jesus talked about that, didn't he? He said, what goes in you doesn't defile you. He says, what comes out of your mouth is what defiles. It's what's down inside. The filth on the inside is the problem. Paul reminds the Colossians, you were saved to be disciples of Jesus, not modern-day Israelites. We're not saved to be modern-day Israelites. Sometimes I meet Gentiles that desperately want to be Jewish. I'm like, look, you're, you're, how, you're who God made you to be. What are you going to do? You've been grafted in. I've been grafted in to spiritual Israel. How about you? That's pretty clear in Romans. Paul made this clear. I know there's a future fulfillment for Israel the nation. I know there's a spiritual Israel. But both are important. But I'm not under bondage. So if I go to a Passover Seder, which I really enjoy a Passover Seder, I want to have Sam or someone back and do one here. When they say, if you've never done one, it's a beautiful picture. But I'm not under the bondage because I didn't do one this year. I'm lost now. I didn't do a Seder this year. I wish we could. There are a lot of work. The law is a lot of work. Satyrs are a lot of work. All the festivals are a lot of work. They really are. But Paul, by the Spirit, illuminates for us what the totality of the law was portraying. And here's what the law was portraying. This is a synopsis of the whole Tanakh, the whole Old Testament, 600 plus laws, and certainly the most important right there in the Ten Commandments. The law is a picture of pure, holy, sinless, sacrificial, because remember the animal sacrifices were under the law, right? Sacrificial, righteous. Here's one we don't like judgment, also under the law. Judgment-bearing, governing, all-encompassing. Now, who would fulfill all that? Yeshua. Jesus. That's the picture of the law. He is the law, but he's also grace, right? Verse 9. If you go back to verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead, but he's also the fullness of the law. He's not just the fullness of the Godhead, which is, you know, the God the Father and God the Spirit can't be seen, they're invisible. 
But Jesus is the visible representation of God in bodily form. But Jesus is also the fullness of the law. He's the fullness of the law. He's the fullness of grace. He's the fullness of mercy. He's the fullness of holiness. But here's the blessing for us. Jesus kept the law, and he keeps us. And if you abide in him, even if you don't know all the law's commandments, he's already kept them. The new commands, the moral commands. To be saved now, God writes the, his commands on the tablets of our heart. We now have a desire to keep the moral aspects of the law. Like, we have a desire not to lie anymore, right? Because that's still, we're all under that law. That's the law of sin and death. And so we have a desire now not to steal, not to murder. Not, we also have a desire to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, don't we? Because he's given us that desire because we are saved, not so we stay saved. Not so we make ourselves saved. I don't read my Bible today say, I don't read it, I'm going to be lost in the next two minutes. Do I have my salvation? No, no, I read it because I am born again. It's because he gives us that desire. My youngest daughter likes to bake. Our youngest daughter, she likes to bake. And if I say, hey, I want you to bake me a cake, she's not going to bake out of fear. One, she likes to bake. So if I say, hey, I'd like you to bake this kind. And over the weekend we asked, it was a really brilliant idea, a coconut cake. And it, was, it caught me in one of those magazines. I said, it was bright white. And I said, that thing looks really good. So she made it. <laughs> and we ate it. <laughs> but she enjoys doing that. And she happens to like to eat it as well. But God gives us a relationship with him, right? And he gives us his taste buds. So we start to like the same things God likes. His offspring. We start to like what God likes. The very things that you didn't use. Again, on a beautiful night like tonight, when I was living in South Florida, this is the last place I thought I would ever be in a church. You could be sipping a drink on the beach on a Wednesday night like this, taking the edge off of post-work long day, right? Do you know how many people are doing that right now? All right, Richmond? It's called happy hour, right? It's from 4 to 7, although some people make it like 4 to midnight, right? <laughs> Because they still have taste buds for what they are under bondage, God gives us taste buds for him. Now we still have our rebellious flesh to deal with, right? But then God gives us something for that too, the Holy Spirit, to help us override. You ever heard of an override button? You ever heard of a management override at work? This can't be done. Override. Your, Your flesh says, I can't get over this. Holy Spirit says, override. You have a override capability in the spirit. So we're not under the bondage of law. God gives us the taste buds. Sometimes the taste buds aren't enough, and we need the override of the Holy Spirit. And all of it works together. Don't be bound. Next couple of verses. You're taking notes. Starting with verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which is not 
which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. Skip verse 19. We're going to finish with verse 19. Down to verse 20. Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, though as living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments, doctrines of men. It's another important thing. Doctrines of men. Verse 23. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom, in self-imposed religion. There's a lot of self-imposed religion on this planet, isn't there? False humility, the neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You'll find very religious people that are full of sin. Right? No value. Apparently, humble and deeply spiritual movements and books and ministry philosophies and worship services, if they appear to be humble and spiritual and all this kind of stuff, but if they weaken and if they lessen and they replace the Word of God, they're not humble at all. Don't be fooled. So, but it, it's, so, it's humble. All they do is pray. They only pray. They don't even open the Word because they're so prayerful. If it replaces the Word of God, it's man's Design, not God's design. If a prayer or service starts with, they start praying to God, all right, that's a good thing, all right? It starts, they even mention Jesus, that's great. But the worship transitions to worshiping angels, something has gone wrong. And it's not a service being led by the Holy Spirit. Do you hear that? Any service. You ever see us start worshiping angels? Run for the exit. You're not going to see it, at least it was I'm here, but um, this is, Paul's really clear. We worship the Lord. We worship Jesus. We worship God the Father in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, if, if angels start getting worship, it, it may be spirits, plural, leading the service. Yeah, that's possible, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And it's not the presence of Jesus Christ. Did you know the Holy Spirit only leads the church into the worship of Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit only leads the church into worshiping the Lord. The Holy Spirit never leads the church into worshiping angels or saints or pastors or mega evangelists or anything else. Only leads the church in worshiping the Lord. And that we would have a deeper love, a deeper awe of God. Amen? God does want to deepen our... So um, think about it like this. We don't get bored with Jesus. We're never to get bored. You know, some movements, they just kind of... You ever notice, they just need something more than Jesus. Like, man, Jesus is not enough. We need a lot of really cool stuff here. We're getting bored with the scriptures and we're getting bored with just Jesus and it's just Jesus and worship and prayer and the, and the word and we need something else. Let's kick it up and out. Angels, let's worship. Let's throw, they're, they're in the Bible. Let's throw them in there too. We don't need a little momentum boost with angels. You ever noticed how many people are drawn to the very fervent worship of Mary? I mean... If you watch some of the around the world, you will see people weeping and shaking, worshiping Mary. 
or saints, just any saint, a little statue from some part of the world, or a large statue, a saint with a halo around it. Fervent worship. Way more than you'll see sometimes in a church service. You can see very emotional responses with tears and prayers and bowing down and pictures of sculptures of these saints. Uh, just, just their image can inspire people greatly. Then you read them, the red letter words of Jesus, and there's no real interest. Huh, that's boring. The Word of God. Jesus is the Word. He is the Word. He's not an image. Don't even make for yourself a graven image. He's not an image. Genuine humility is to respond to the Word of God and the commands of Christ. That's genuine humility. To respond to Jesus. To say, yes, Lord. It's not the religious creation of men or, or human peers. None of those things. You know that uh, two of the books of the New Testament were written by Jesus' half-brother. James and Jude. Did you know that they refer to themselves? Uh, James opens up, he says, he is a bondservant. James could have said, you guys should, at least I get partial worship. Because unlike the rest of y'all, I'm related to him. He didn't say that. He called himself a bondservant. He did everything he could to dissociate himself from anything other than he was just another normal human being like them. Mary, at the first command, she didn't say, hey, by the way, y'all start worshiping. She said, whatever he says, do it. Right? That's what she said. She said, whatever he says. She didn't say, whatever I say. She said, whatever he says, you need to do it. Jesus' his own mother, Jesus' half-brother. Of course, Jesus didn't have an earthly father, but the family members that were part of him coming in and his family into this world, they, they said, no, no, we're no we, we need him just like you need him. No matter what their titles are, the following they've built up, the number of books that they've sold, the lives they've supposedly changed, understand Paul isn't condemning, you know, he's not condemning that we should, he's not condemning ministry, he's not condemning humility. You know, if you see people that have done a lot of great things and they have kind of a, a humble disposition, but that they're bringing something else in to replace Jesus or to augment Jesus, Paul's like, that's not real humility. That's sleight of hand. That's changing the direction of the worship. And the Bible certainly isn't against humility. She says false humility. False humility, that means there must be a true humility. The Bible's not against humility by any means. Uh, quite the contrary. We should be very humble people. We have nothing to be prideful about. We brought nothing to the table. Apart, apart from him, we can do nothing anyway, right? Jesus is the picture of humility. We should have real humility. People should be able to see us and see that is genuine humility. Not perfection. We're not perfect. But even humble people have a moment where they're prideful. But generally speaking, people should say, that's a humble person. And James was an example of this too. Uh, James was not perfect, half-brother of Jesus. But do you know what they called him? 
James the just. Why? Because people watched. He just had a heartbeat for God. And people said, that's the real deal. That's a humble man. That's a godly man. We're to be humble because we're nothing without Jesus. But in him, we're continually humbled by grace. I mean, every day you say, Lord, forgive me again. Forgive me again. Have mercy on me. We, we're continually humbled by the grace of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said there'll be three effects of nearness to Jesus. Humility, happiness, and holiness. Humility, happiness, and holiness. Three effects of nearness to Jesus. But the first one there is humility. God will make us genuinely humble. The first thing I look for in, in men and women that can lead anything in this church is are they really humble? They have just have a humble disposition. They don't need a title. I wish I didn't have title. A lot of times I, I again, I, I, I envy people in some respects. I don't mean that. I, I, I'm very grateful for God calling me to be a pastor. But, I, but again, I, I love things about just being just a nameless person that could share Christ out there. You know, I tell people, I'm a pastor, well, of course you're not supposed to tell this stuff. That's your job. I'm like, I did this before I was a pastor. But if you're humble, God will give open up doors for you, opportunities for you. Humility will open up uh, opportunities to present Christ. On the flip side, by the way, genuine humility will not always be loved and welcomed in this world. Did you know that? Here's a weird irony, right? Genuine humility is not always loved. Now, Jesus was incredibly humble. Was he loved? Jesus was more humble than every person that has ever lived combined, and they hated his humility. Hated it. Couldn't stand it. To live a life in humble surrender to God isn't always popular. Jesus warned of this. You see, the world, you know what the world really loves? The world loves false humility. They love false religions, false Christ, false peace, false pleasures, and they love false humility. The world loves false humility. Social media has loads of it. We've all probably been guilty at one time or another set, putting up a post that makes us look humble when it was really the, quite the opposite. Don't you get tired of seeing these sometimes? If I see one more humble post from this person, I'm going to vomit, right? After a while, you know it's not humility. It's, look at me, spotlight. A lot of that on social media. The celebrity award shows, they're full of false humility. You can see someone mock God in their acceptance speech, say something that, uh, that is against God, against the scriptures, against the humility of Jesus Christ, get a standing ovation, and 10 seconds later, they'll be telling you about some noble cause that they gave an eighth of percent of their income to and lent their name to. And everyone... What an amazing human being. They just mocked God, all this other stuff. But religious practice, and even things under the name of Christ, can be facades of humility. Even things under the name of Jesus can be facades of humility. Paul's warning against false humility. Let's not be guilty of it. Let's not be sucked in by it. 
But the subtleness of false humility, it can very slowly seep in and infiltrate undetected. It's a very subtle thing, false humility. It's not always obvious. Sometimes it is. Sometimes, again, if someone posts, you know, all the time, I'm so humble, that's kind of obvious. But it's not always that obvious. Sometimes it's, it, it's very subtle. That's why Paul's warning of it. And I understand that churches down through the ages, I understand that many churches, sadly, down through the ages, have had pastors and teachers that have preached passages directly from the Word of God only to produce dead churches, legalistic churches, separatist, even racist churches, and prideful attitudes of spiritual superiority and legalism and coldness. That has happened in the last 2,000 years. If you study history, you'd know that's happened. And, and, and amazingly, some of those churches only preach the Bible with a cloth and everything, not anything else. And that's what they produced. Well, Jesus warned that, again, even people could use his name and produce deadness and coldness. The devil knows the scriptures too, doesn't he? You better believe he does. He knows his Bible way better than most anyone sitting in a chair or a pew. Would you agree with that? The devil knows the Bible. He knows how to use it. He knows how to twist it to people's destruction. Peter warned of that. It's why we're called to what? Speak the truth and what? Love. Speak the truth and love. See, a lot of times over the last 2,000 years, some denominations, some ministers, some reverends, some priests, different, they didn't preach it in love. They preached it in anger or superiority or racial superiority or any other kind of lie, right? And it produced dead things. And it also produced a backlash of other people to be able to, I'll go the opposite and be incredibly humble and can suck people into a different deception altogether. False humility can be the opposite of direct defiance or just out-and-out arrogance. Both using the scriptures, potentially. Truth without love is just cold religion, isn't it? You know how many, you've probably talked to kids that today aren't kids, now they're in their 40s or 50s, that said, I wasn't allowed to do this and this and this and this, and if I even did this, I got beaten, right? I've met people like that, and they are bitter against the Bible. I said, that's not the God of the Bible. You got cold religion. You did not get the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. But he still was truthful. Like with the woman at the well, Jesus didn't say, hey, hey, your sins are no big deal. You want to marry another dude? Go for it. He said, no, even the one you're with now is not your husband. Right? But he was still loving and no one else would even talk to her. He met her in, in, in love and he said he confronted sin, but he was humble and gentle. We need the work of the word and we need the Holy Spirit. We need the help of the Spirit. I'm not smart enough or good enough to really connect with people outside the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm not I connect at the level of where their soul needs. But Paul's saying, hey, there are those that, hey, there's some that want to take you back to the law. They want to take you back to legalism. They want to take you back, back to under Moses. Bondage, spiritual pride. Don't go that way. But he says there's also those that want to have you enjoy, and listen to this clear, 
They want you to enjoy the self-gratification of false humility. The self-gratification. The reason why a lot of people like false humility is they get to pat themselves on the back. If no one else will, I didn't make the baby happy at all, but uh, she wants a pat on the back. I'm just glad moms with babies are here. How about you? I'm glad they're here. I'm glad they want to be here when they could be at home and not even taking the risk of having a rough night here. So give her a hug. It's Mother's Day, at least a week. But many people will try and suck you into false humility because it's very self-gratifying to have this false humility. Sure, and it'll feel better at times on the road that you're taking. It, false humility will feel better than taking up your cross and not getting well-received for taking up your cross. Jesus warned of that. Any helpful and worthwhile and charitable endeavor that replaces the Word and replaces prayer and replaces Christ is a diversion from the commandments of Christ. So if a church says, you know what? We'd, we'd love to focus on the Word and we'd love to focus on Jesus, but there's too many problems out there to focus on, so we need to lay the Word and Jesus aside for a while and get focused on these important humanitarian efforts. You, that's not from Jesus, by the way. It's not from the Lord. That's a false humility. Works of compassion should follow and they should be complementary of real believers. But works of compassion and works of you know, just kind of people and focus of you know, ministering to lives, that doesn't replace the gospel. That doesn't replace Christ. That doesn't replace the Word of God. It doesn't replace discipleship. It, it comes along with those things. It's not a replacement of them. Anyone that under the guise and care and compassion of a ministry or some kind of movement puts people over Christ, in the end they're not honoring either. Putting people over Jesus does not honor them or Jesus. Um, if you remove or reduce Christ and the Word and the Gospel, you basically have a non-profit organization. Did you hear that? As soon as you remove Jesus and the Bible, and it's really humble works, and you know we got all this stuff, but we just we 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 decide, you know, we we're just going to take Jesus out of it, and the Bible out of it, because that, and we're just going to do the humanitarian stuff that really meet people's needs, because telling them the gospel doesn't feed them. I understand that James talks all about that. James addresses that. What your faith is dead if you don't actually feed people. We get that, but it's not a replacement of Christ. It's not a replacement of the Word. We have to have the order right. What did Jesus say? He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with your mind. This is the what? First and greatest commandment. The first commandment is Jesus stays first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be added. Including, you don't think God cares about homeless people? People in prison? He said that Someday you'll be judged because you wouldn't even go to those places. So we know God cares about that, but those things will follow our worship. 
If I could, you, someone gets saved, and I can tell them anything. Say, look, you get in the Word and fall in love with Jesus, all the rest will take care of itself. Amen? Say, well, you know what? These other things are so important. Don't worry about your Bible. Don't worry about Jesus. Just go feed the poor. After long, they won't be feeding the poor. Anyway. False humility. The second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. God's always going to have people in the view, right? But God's dead center. Jesus is first. The Lord is first. If we put God first, we will care about people. We absolutely will. We'll definitely care about people. I've, um, I've spoken to people, uh, just real quick, just more anecdotal, if you will. But I have talked to people over the years. This is probably over 10 years. I've talked to people that have come here. Maybe they went here for like three weeks. And I could see in my conversation with them, I could see in their eyes, I could see in the conversation with them that they were under heavy conviction to just let God have their whole life. And somewhere in the conversation, I can tell that they're in this tug of war for God to have their whole life. And, they'll, and I've had this happen more than once, probably like five times, where they've said, I want to be here, but I just need to find a church that does, and they'll give me some humanitarian effort. False humility. Because I won't give myself to Jesus, I'll find something that looks really good. Because you guys don't, you don't have much of an adoption program. Are you planning to adopt? Not really, but I just want to know you have it. You ever had this? Oh, so you're going to take on all the homeless kids in the world. No, I just want to make sure that I find a church that has a big program of that so I can kind of attach my name to it, but not really surrender to Jesus. I find it all the time. Over the years, I've had it. I've looked, at, I've looked in their eyes and said, I just feel like God's really drawing you to kind of surrender everything. Oh, it's not that. No, no, I just need to do this, that, and the other in some kind of really noble, humble thing. And God's like, you haven't humbled your heart yet but you want to find a humble pet ministry that you can attach your name to. I'm not picking on that. I'm just saying that Jesus sees through all the little stuff we put up that's religious trappings, right? And then if you really are born again and you humble yourself and you become completely yielded to God, guess what? You might end up doing all the things. You might, you actually might be the one that God used to kickstart tons of babies being adopted. Now look at you know, Jonathan Krause who came through here. Babu show him one, one video of Slumdog Millionaire. Boom. I'm amazed at what God's doing through that man. You know? He didn't need to find a church that had that. God says, you can do that. You might be the person here God wants to start that, but your, your road to getting there will just be stay humble before God. Stay humble before God. Real humility. Real spend time in your prayer closet. Real yield to Jesus and say, I'm not looking to kind of find something that kind of is fig leaves. False humility. Last thing. Come to a close here with this last point. Don't let go. Back to verse 19, which we didn't read. Look at verse 19. And not holding fast to the head. Capital head, that's Jesus. From whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that, is, that comes from God. Holding fast to the head. We're told here to hold fast to Jesus. Not man's creations, not the law, not 
nonprofit groups, not you know, anything that anyone comes up with, not Moses. None of those things were told to hold fast to Jesus, prioritizing him above everything else in life. We're told to not let go of Christ. Hold on tight. You ever been water skiing? Right? They give you some good instructions. Hold on. Right? There's obviously a time to let go, too, but not of Jesus. This is for us individually, and it's also for the church family and a body of believers. Each individual, we need to hold on to Jesus, but collectively, we need to hold on and keep Jesus center in this church. You need to keep it center of your home. You need to keep it center of your heart. We need to keep it the heartbeat of this church. So it's, and again, at all three of those levels. The good news is Jesus will never let go of us. Isn't that great to know? He's never going to let go of us. No one can pluck us out of his hand. He will never let go of us. You say, well, why do we have to hold on to him? Because it's a relationship. Do you love your spouse or does your spouse love you? Should be a yes answer, right? If it's a no answer, you need counseling. No, anyway. Uh, he'll never leave us or forsake us. But we can leave and forsake him. And we've all been guilty of having days where we kind of have a, had a forsake day. Now, I'm not talking about going into wild sin or anything like that. I hope that that never happens here. But we've had days where we just kind of got busy, distracted, Right? That's a forsaking, in a sense, it is. Right? You didn't forget to eat that day, probably. But we can say, oh, I just forgot. We kind of wander, like the song hymns is prone to wander. We have those moments. But he never has a wandering from us, right? He never wanders away from us. We're always the one that drifts, not the other way around. We're told to hold fast. Paul says, you've got to keep your lifeline of walk with Jesus prioritized in your life. We're given a command to cling to him. Cling to him. Let me give you an analogy. You're an American citizen, whether your passport is with you or not. True? You are an American citizen, whether your passport is with you or not. Wow, that got good volume there. <laughs> but if you're traveling... Kind of like our pilgrimage through this world, right? We have a pilgrimage, we're traveling through this world. If you're traveling, and the State Department, the TSA, and the Border Control, all they, they tell you to make sure you keep your passport with you at all times. That's good advice, isn't it? I don't need to, I'm already a citizen. That's a prideful answer, isn't it? It's a dumb answer too, right? <laughs> Depending on where you go, right? Not a good answer. Keep your passport with you at all times. That's a wise, obedient answer and say, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, right? I will do that. Needless problems will arise if you say, that's not important. Go with us to Israel or Guatemala, have your passport with you at all times. You'd say, well, what do they think, I'm lying? Right? Who would say that? No. It's just foolishness, right? So we know that it's important to say, all right, I know that I am a citizen of heaven, but I still got to cling to Jesus. Amen? Your citizenship's covered. But we're told to cling. We're told to keep these things. Jesus said, these things keep right beside you. Right? Keep them close. If he, 
said that the Colossians, he wants us to do it as well. It's imperative that the church, a healthy, a committed, a spiritually growing church, keeps Jesus at the center of everything. It's imperative that the church does that. Why? Because Jesus is the center. Whether we make him the center or not, he is the center. Isn't that great to know? It doesn't matter if you make him or remind me, he is still the center of everything. He is Lord. Whether he's and an individual's Lord, he's still Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. He already is Lord. We just wisely have said, yes, you're now my Lord. He's not just at the center of everything, but he's above everything. That's why Paul says he's the head. He's above. The head sits at the highest place of your body, right? He's above. It's where the brain control is, and Jesus is the control of this church. He's the one making the decisions. I may pastor this church, but my only account, but when, I, if, when I die and stand before Jesus at the end of the age, my only account's going to be pretty simple. Here's what I know I'll be judged on. Did you point them to me? Did you point them to me? I can say yes. Did you read them my words? I can say yes. Did you exalt my name? I can say yes. Did you share my gospel? Did you share my commands? Did you share my love? Did you share my grace? Did you share my mercy? These are the questions Jesus will ask me. And by the way, he's going to ask you too in your sphere of life. That's what he's going to say. Did you share that with your kids? Did you share that uh, in your life as you went through this world? I want to be faithful to lift up the name of Jesus. I want to be faithful uh, in that that we see us grow under his leadership, under his leadership, and under his lordship. He's the head. Not me, not our elders, not our deacons. He's the head. And if he remains as our Lord and our shepherd, and as a flock, we're walking with him, waiting on him, serving him, growth and health will follow. Do you believe that? Growth and health will follow. Growth and health. Look what it says. Back in verse 19, it says, nourished, knit together, joints, ligaments, grows, increase. Joints and ligaments that are actually growing and healthy. He's talking about spiritual here. Our body's going to fade, but spiritually we should be growing. Now, growth and health will follow. It's not always numerical, by the way. It's not always numerical. It's definitely not always physical. Sometimes we get physical healing. Sometimes we, you know, Fanny Crosby thought she was dying. All of a sudden, she actually hit a season of health late in life and was much better for years. That, that sometimes happens. That doesn't always happen. But spiritually, we can become and should become healthier. It's not always a numerical thing, not always a physical thing, but it's definitely a spiritual growth and a spiritual health. If you saw Job in the midst of his trial, you'd have no idea what good things were coming his way later, would you? You would say, this dude ain't got it together, right? And God would say, no, no. He is the most faithful man I know on earth right now, and you can't see it. You think that he's actually the lowest of the low. He's actually in a battle right now. Some of the people that you, you might be in a battle, you might know someone in a battle, maybe it's because they've been faithful is why they're in a battle. Quite the opposite of what some, you know, TV preaching shows, right? They might be in a battle because they're faithful. And they might be growing more than they've ever grown and didn't know it. You know trees, the roots get a lot deeper in the dead of winter? Your roots can be getting deeper in a dark period. It should be. The apparently weak and dependent church. Um, oh, by the way, 
If you saw Job in the middle of his um, trial, you'd have no idea that he was in the uh, cocoon phase of soon being a butterfly. Maybe you're in a cocoon phase. Maybe this church is in a cocoon phase. I don't care. Only God cares and knows, right? I do care about this, that we grow spiritually. How about you? If he wants to make us into a butterfly and a different season comes, that's up to him. But our point is to be growing. God's growth doesn't destroy us, it develops us. Doesn't destroy us, develops us. The apparently weak independent church is being nourished by Jesus. When we are weak, then we are strong. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Not the big in numbers. The big in reputation. How do we know this? Jesus warned the church in Sardis. Read the letter to the churches, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Read what he says to Sardis. We don't have time to turn there. But he warned the church in Sardis that they had acquired a great name for themselves. And Jesus, you know what he said about them? He said, you're dead as a doornail. What? That church has 80 YouTube channels, tons of people, all kinds of action going on. They've planted more churches than everyone combined. And Jesus said, yep, dead. Jesus said they had a fantastic name. Churches likely were emulating them. How do we follow your 10-point plan? Jesus said, don't follow their 10-point plan. He said they were dead as could be. Not sick. He said they were completely dead. Even though other churches may have looked up to them and looked up to their philosophy of ministry, Jesus said, completely dead. Amazing. Growth and health is defined by the Holy Spirit. Amen? If you have a hundred beautiful apples that are rotten on the inside, and someone else has ten of those, you know those spotted ones you get when you go pick them, and they've got all these bumps on them and everything? They're actually still fine to eat. You want a bumpy, ugly apple that's edible than a bright, clean one that on the inside is rotten. You can have a hundred beautiful apples that are rotten on the inside, and you bite into it, you'll be spitting it out. You bite into one that has all those bumps and looks like it's like little black spots on it. It's just, just, it's fine. Nothing wrong with that. You bite it. You've got something that's healthy. It's edible. Which ones would you want? We don't want an outward appearance of legalism or false humility, do we? We want the health and sweetness of Jesus nourishing us. Spiritually speaking, brother and sister, cling to your passport. Jesus has your citizenship covered. You don't have to become a citizen. You're already a citizen, but cling to your passport from a spiritual health standpoint. Let's all stay humbly planted. And together we'll grow, and he'll protect us from the disease of pride. And amazingly... In all that, he'll help us touch people and miracles will happen and it'll all be the work of God. Amen? I'll close with this one image for you. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the sufficiency of Christ. Lord, we love the pictures you painted in the Old Testament. We're thankful, though, we're not under the law. We love your humble walk, but we don't want to have a false humility. Lord, just keep us centered and planted and nourished by the simplicity of your word, by the depth of your word, and Lord, by the relationship we have with you through your spirit. 
And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.